0: You got your Bibles, let me grab my Bible, and then we'll get started. Are we doing alright? Alright. Well hey, before we uh, open the Scriptures, it's about as loud as it can get. Before we can open the Scriptures, um, while we were singing, we are doing worship through song, um, one of the lines in that last song uh, I felt real strongly, and, and we can be off, we want to share these things openly, but that the Spirit was almost like uh, when you're reading and something's in bold, how it stands out to you. A couple lines, and it just says this. It says, Now you're making me like you, clothing me in white, bringing beauty from ashes, for you will have your bride or your church. You're going to make, uh, Jesus is going to make his church into the one that he he already says she is. The already is. We already, who, um, how do I say it? we already are, in his eyes, maybe different than how we often think of ourselves. And I was immediately thought about Ephesians. In the beginning of Ephesians, it says, He chose us, since the beginning, uh, or even before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. The way God sees us when he looks at us is holy and blameless. And so I asked, I said, Holy Spirit, um, why? Why is this standing out? Why does this matter? Is this for me? Is it for our community? What is it? And I felt like he said... Um, we we got to get you guys, we as a church, we got to get past our own thinking about our own sin as who we are. we got to get past uh, being stuck in defining who we are as individuals and us as a community by the things that we just fail at. It's not who we are, it's not who he says we are, and what happens is then our attention gets fixated there, and then we miss out on what he wants to tell us and where he wants to take us. And so um, before we begin, I just want to start and ask him to do that, and if on the inside you're you're even thinking, man, I I just failed in this or this this week, and uh, whatever it is. You have your own things. I have my own things. But if that's where your identity is, we're going to pray just a minute here to, to have that released and on your on your inside in your own way. Just agree um, as we pray, and and then we'll get into the scriptures. Holy Spirit, thank you uh, for being here. Thank you for making us new. Thank you that when you look at us, like a parent looks at a child, and you you almost like if you kneel down and look us eye in eye. You say that we're holy and we're blameless, and we want to believe it. We don't want to be fixated where the enemy wants us to be fixated on all the things that we're not good enough at. We don't want to stay there. We want to go and enjoy life with you. We want to enjoy the next few minutes where you speak to us through the Scriptures. And so we say yes. We agree with you. We agree with love, with who you say we are. And we, even on our inside, say, God, thank you for making me, your son and your daughter, holy and blameless. In Jesus' name, everybody said. All right, it's probably a good place to start. Well, it's, uh, it's Jose's birthday today, if my phone is right. So I thought I would, uh, if it's okay, my wife suggested singing happy birthday to him. I always get sick to my stomach when um, people sing happy birthday to me. I just get so like, oh, stop. So maybe, maybe what we'll do is we'll just get a photo. How's that? I think this can do photo. Oh, there it is. We'll get a photo. And uh, how about a pano? Can you do that on here? All right, we're gonna do a pano, and um, instead of making you stand up since you're all cozy, why don't you just—maybe this is just as awkward—but why don't you just lift your hands up, you know? As, well, not like not like that, um, but like like a wave type thing, you know? And uh, oh, okay, we're gonna do a video. I'll just I'll just pano the video. Okay, so. Um, at this point now, happy birthday really makes the most sense. But we'll just, um, on three, we'll say happy birthday, all right? So, uh, happy birthday, Jose. So, ready? One, two, three. Happy birthday, Jose. All right, he'll love that. All right, I'll send that to him after. Cool. There we are. I think that's all my stuff. I feel like I'm forgetting something. All right. Proverbs, we're in Proverbs, we're in a series on wisdom called Words to the Wise, and um, we've used kind of a tagline, a general tagline, and that is uh, this. It says, the scriptures may not cover what to do in every specific situation, salad or steak, vacation or staycation, but they do provide us with wisdom in every area of daily life. And um, as we've said, wisdom is personified in God. In other words, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, when we look at what God in in our ability to think, when we look at God, that is wisdom. God is wisdom. And so, God's way, or us agreeing with Him in all things, this is best. And this is actually living in wisdom. And so, we've said that one of the ways God shows us the best way to live is as His Spirit teaches us through the Scriptures. So, that's what we're going to do in these next few minutes. But, Uh, something we need to kind of point out is that uh, this makes the goal then as we study the scriptures together this morning not to just gain information Uh, it's way more about encountering God for us and so what we're after is getting to know more of what God is like and in that process moving to a place where we allow that knowing to actually change us change us change us that's a hard one where we allow the knowing to actually change us and um and so that's what we're after. And we're not after becoming a better people, but actually continuing to learn what it looks like to walk with God in our everyday moments. And um, Proverbs, if you have your Bible, in Proverbs 1, it starts out like this. Proverbs is near the middle of your Bible, right after Psalms. And uh, we're going to be using the scriptures today. We're going to be turning to a few places. And so feel free to use uh, what I like to call the Google Maps of your Bible. It's called a Table of Contents. In the front, it'll help you get to where you're trying to go. Uh, we're going to go to a couple different places in the scriptures that we may not go to uh, frequently. And so if I say turn to... Here's a little freebie. Uh, We're going to Nehemiah later. If I say, turn to Nehemiah, and you're like, Nehemiah who? I don't even know where that is. Uh, It's totally fine. Use that Google Maps, that table contents in the front. Find it. The last thing we want in a gathered space like this is for you to look down the row and notice person one and person two, and they got it. And then person three gets it, and you're the last one in the row. And you just kind of quietly fold it up and set it down. And on the inside, it's actually this, I don't want to be viewed as last, but it's just not the space we're in. And so take your time. It's totally fine if you're the last one in the row to find it, but I want you to see it. So here's how Proverbs starts out. It starts out like this. Uh, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, they are for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look specifically at Proverbs 19 in verse 11. So turn to the right in your Bibles to Proverbs 19, and then find verse 11. When you got it, say, got it? All two of you, cool. Do you know when you're... The last thing I am is nervous. But you know when your mouth gets dry and then you start mumbling words? Is anyone else like that? So excuse me if I reach for my water bottle um, a couple times. All right, Proverbs 19 and verse 11 says this. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Well, like I said, um, we can read this, but if it doesn't change us, it's, it's useless. And the, the one who changes us is actually the spirit as he opens our eyes to see wonderful things in the scriptures. Otherwise we might as well just be at some conference learning some more information. And so let's take one more moment and let's ask God, to open our eyes, like David says, open our eyes to see wonderful things, things of life, things that will actually make a difference, going deep into who we are as a person and actually change us from the inside out uh, as we study the scriptures. And so if you pray most often with your eyes closed for distraction's sake, wonderful. If you pray with your eyes open, wonderful. It's totally up to you. But let's ask God to do that and then we'll get into it. So God, uh, thank you. Um, Thank you that even now, with all of the life situations going on in this room, that there's not a a square inch where you're not present, where you're so saturated, and we're so saturated with you in us and and us in you that you just long for us to wake up to your nearness and allow ourselves to be loved by you. And so in these next few minutes, we say yes to everything you want to teach us through the scriptures in any part of our life. And um, yeah, that's what we ask. Thank you being here with us now. All right, we ready? Again, two of you. Cool. All right, here we go. Um, you know, this is a silly maybe example, but um, I played on a basketball team last year, a couple months ago, and we're talking about a fence today. And this is, again, it's, it's a silly example, but we, I played on a basketball team, and there's this ref at one of our games who, if you are a basketball person, this story is like just common, but there was a ref, and the, the ref was not Super making good calls. Maybe he was bad at his job. I don't know. But you know, the irritation turned to a frustration. And then sooner or later, I started taking it kind of personally. And uh, so for my team, anytime someone on my team would get fouled and the foul isn't called, of course, now I'm moving to this place where this irritation, which has now become frustration, is actually uh, becoming, I'm I'm allowing it to offend me. And in that place, I'm beginning to blame. So now uh, I'm I'm turning to my teammates or to the ref and saying things like, dude, did you see, you you guys know this, like this is normal sport. And uh, did you see that? Well... Everyone on our team—I mean, we literally went through our lineup—was getting like fouled, uh, knocked over, but no foul was called, and. So I had enough, and so I wanted to prove my point. So I moved from irritation to frustration, and now blame. And now I'm actually moving into this stage of anger, where I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to fight back. But the way I'm going to fight back is not necessarily uh, a physical way. But I'm going to make the ref look bad. And this is just terrible. Okay, but this is silly. So I, uh, th- you know, we make a basket. The other ball gets, the other team gets the ball. So I sprint down and I stand at the top of the key, and I'm watching the other team come towards me. And it's the same point guard every time this big dude and with big shoulders and I'm a not a big dude with not big shoulders and but I'm like I'm gonna take this so I just stood there at the top of the key and of course just like we thought he came straight in and just lowered his shoulder in it was like football and just nailed me and I went sliding all the way back to the to the back of the key but the pain didn't matter because I had so much like excitement adrenaline you know and um, so now here's where here's where my my point kind of begins um, I got up from that moment and I just began, I yelled, I said, open your eyes ref. And so immediately, uh, and I like yelled, like, you know, there's, there's that, what I just did. And then there's yelling and I yelled and, uh, you don't get to do that at the referees. And so the referee blew the whistle and I got a technical, you know, get out, you're out. Okay. So, so I get kicked out of the game and, um, Am I the only one that's ever got a technical? (laughs) That, okay, you and me. And so I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying I did it, okay? And it's going to make a point here in a second. So, um, yeah, so here's where it really gets kind of hit me. Because it didn't hit me until then. I wasn't convicted until later. I get to the end of the game, and our team's celebrating, you know, of course we won. And then I look over, and I see the referee, and I saw him differently. I saw him, uh, he was sitting on a fold-up, you know, little aluminum chair, and it was, it was lower than this, but he was just like this, and he was really tired, and I could tell. During the game, he had all this energy. He was tired, and uh, he was an old man, older man, you know, than, than us, and I mean that respectfully. I mean that, res- that was totally, okay, he was an older man, he was probably late 60s or whatever, sorry, I'm not, you know what I'm saying. He was an older man. He was really tired. He just worked his tail off, and I had been the jerk to yell at him, and I had recognized, man, I, I lived in offense. I hurt this person, and because I had allowed myself to live in an atmosphere of uh, of a being offended, and so I expressed frustration, and, and that was not agreeing with love, and so I see him, and he's slouched over, and it hit me. Oh my gosh, Nate, you totally missed it, you t- and so I walk over, and I said, hey, I am so sorry, you know, and um, and he said, "Yeah, I, I uh, just had a long day, and and all the basketball stuff, all the frustration. That is just like a, m- a million miles behind us. And then in that moment, it's like these two. You see, you know, when you see someone as a human again, rather than a, I don't know, s- someone you're angry at, and you're just like, oh. And offense. What offense does is it, it, uh, it just." It ruins everything. It blocks everything. And so today what we're going to look at is offense. And what I want us to see is that offense is one way we can respond when someone does something that irritates us or frustrates us or hurts us. But wisdom says, wisdom says it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. The word glory here primarily means a character quality uh, to, to someone's credit or something they can boast about. And I think we all get that. Overlooking an offense is a great character quality. Uh, the Passion translation, another translation of the Scriptures, it says it this way: When you're insulted, be quick to forgive and forget it, for you are virtuous when you overlook an offense. And while we could talk about that all day, I want us to go a bit deeper. And um, we all know patient people and how they're more enjoyable to be around. We all know angry people and how they're, they're more difficult to be around. But I want us to talk about why this is far more than a system uh, of rules or forgiving and forgetting and is actually tied into how we think about all of life, how we think about God and how we think about each other and everything around us. So here's the plan for today. Here's the, the overview and the outline Uh, For all you type A people who need to know where we're going, here it is, okay? First we're going to look at the word, I'm one of you. Uh, First we're going to look at the word glory. What is it? How are we involved? And we're going to move into our basic two options when faced with the opportunity to become offended. What are our natural two inclinations? One's more natural, one's harder, but um, we're going to look at those two. And then finally, we're going to land and wrap up by looking at two short stories in the scriptures of people that were offended yet understood glory. And because they understood glory, they actually responded in wisdom. They did it the way that the story of God teaches us is best. So... Does that sound like a plan? Okay, five of you this time. We're moving up. This is good. All right, glory. What is it and how are we involved? Up on the screens, the Hebrew word glory is tif hara. Can you say tif hara? Um, I did the little roll thing as best as I could, but I don't even know if that's fully how you say it. I looked it up online. But tif hara, and this word actually means beauty. So it is to one's beauty to overlook an offense. Or we could say it this way. The alternative to being offended is to live beautifully. Okay? The alternative to living offended is to live beautifully. On the basketball court, I did not live beautifully. We would all know that. This is just another angle in on it, but it's going to help us see something, I think. Now, God is beauty stick with me here some context in the opening lines of the scriptures uh, in Genesis 1 and verse 26 it says this then God said let us make humanity in our image in our likeness what's the point us in our God is relational now in Matthew if you can turn to, to Matthew we're going to look at three quick things we're already on the second one in Matthew 28 in verse 19 Jesus is about to be back with the Father, and he's about to send his spirit, and he says this, Matthew 28, 19. This may be familiar to some of you. Matthew 28, 19, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of, this familiar, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three pictures, or three metaphors, to help us understand what God is like. So Father, Son, Holy Spirit, us and our, God is relational. Anyone, uh, let's look at one other one. John 14 and verse 9. Turn to the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John 14 and verse 9 says this. Part of the reason I like having us turn through the scriptures is getting more familiar with where things are or if you have it on your phone, learning how to, tap better or something i don't know okay john 14 in verse 9 says this and i want us to see why god is beauty why is god beauty why us and our is the definition of beautiful verse 9 anyone who has seen me jesus speaking has seen the father how can you say show us the father Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Pause. So we see a perfect giving and a perfect receiving going on between the Father and the Son. Now skip down to verse 16. Jesus still speaking and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth who we now call Holy Spirit. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And so we see the Son asking the Father to send the Spirit. Again, perfect giving and perfect receiving relationship in who God is between Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So we can think of God as perfect unity or cooperation. Traditional third-century teachings um, give us this word called perichoresis, which just means the divine dance. We can think of God as a picture, again, to just help us understand and grasp more of what God's like as a dance. If you've ever been to a really—you wouldn't want to watch— I could not show you what perichoresis is. Um, But if you go to someone who knows how to dance, and you watch people, maybe like a formal ballroom dance, and you watch the two move as one— That's the word that these early church fathers use for what God is like between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are like a dance, and it's perfect. And and so this is what we're invited into. This is what we're invited to agree with in all moments, especially in moments of offense. So, up on the screens, to live this way, to overlook an offense, is to choose to live in love or to agree with love. That statement, agree with love, it, it's just kind of the way that makes the most sense to me. Maybe you have a different words you could use, but the God that created everything is inviting us to agree with what he says. And he shows us who we are and what he's like through the scriptures, through creation, and through each other. And so he's asking us to agree with him, or to agree with love. This, then, is the basis for wisdom. It's the outworking of what God is like in our everyday moments. And this is why... All of life matters. This is why every moment matters. And this is why all of life is spiritual. You don't have church days and non-church de- Well, I guess you do. You don't have... Uh moments where you meet with God and moments where you don't meet with God. Every moment is like you swimming in the ocean and trying to define whether you're wet in one moment and not in another, yet you're in the middle of the ocean. It's all a part of life with God and he's asking us to agree. And wisdom says in offense that to agree with love, to say yes to who God is in that moment is to overlook. So Here's where we're going to go with this. Number two, moving into our basic two options when faced with the opportunity to be offended. What do we do? What, where can we go? Someone offends you. Okay, I'm on the basketball court, which is, again, kind of a, a simple, crude, very small example. But what do I do? What are my options? Well, one is clearly uh, to, to blame. And when we blame, we have kind of two angles we can blame. We can either blame people, they said this, they did this, they hurt me, or we can blame God. Why did God let this happen? Why would God allow this? Uh, And our other option then, of course, is to overlook the offense, which literally means to pass through it. Remembering that in God, offense was dealt with on the cross, and that has been promised to be redeemed at the resurrection, that that very moment of offense is the reason God made himself known in Jesus, lived, died, and came back to life to take care of that offense. That that moment that you have the opportunity to respond, that is a redeemable moment. And so will we agree or not agree with love? Now at the core, offense can be intentionally caused or unintentionally, but it is always relational. Again, in, in Offense can be intentional. I can intentionally hurt you or offend you, or I can unintentionally do so, but it's always relational. You cannot be um, offended in a vacuum. You might be offended by the person who put you in the vacuum, but you can't be offended just alone. There's always you and something else do you see the connection? God is us and our. There's unity. There's more than one and us too in these moments. This is why all of life is spiritual because it's always relational. And so, in order for relationship in life and thinking and God and each other to work in life, we have to be aligned or say yes to what love is like because that's the only pattern. That's the only genesis of what it actually looks like to be fully human. Do you see so offense is way more than just look o- overlooking or not overlooking and a moralistic or it's, it's all about agreeing with love. And just as a side note, um, offense can happen at a whole bunch of levels. And uh, sure, being offended on the basketball court is one thing, but it's a whole another story altogether when a friend hurts you, a spouse, um, or something is taken from you um, in whatever way that means. So in some moments, the process of moving through the offense of overlooking, moving through that offense is way deeper, way messier and more difficult than others. And so we don't want to undermine. I don't want to talk today and uh, have offense be getting offended on a basketball court. It's so much more. And some of you have deep offenses right now. Um, And in many ways, rightfully so, people have hurt you. And what we're going to look at is no matter the hurt, um, love still says, agree with me and move through it. And so that's what we're going to try and go today. By the way, we're going to be doing um, a prayer training later on this year. It's still 2016, right? So later on this year, or early 2017, and a big part of what we're going to be talking about is how to pray through offense. How do you release people? Um, because it's, it's actually a really helpful tool to learn to not hold the ability to judge and and uh, keep people locked up, because that's when you yourself become more free. So if you're interested in that, we'll be telling you more about that in the coming months, and we'd love to have you be a part of it. Um, so I thought it'd be helpful, finally, to wrap up by looking at two short stories in the scriptures of people that were offended, uh, offended on two different levels, um, but they both understood glory, and because of that, they both understood beauty and how life is supposed to work, and because of that, they responded in wisdom. So, let's look at one of intentional offense first. Someone was trying to offend someone else, and then the other of unintentional. I don't think this person was trying to offend this other person, um, but still, the opportunity to be offended existed. And so, our first story is about a guy named, and here is where your clue came in, Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is not a book uh, that we go to often, but if you wouldn't mind, try finding it. Nehemiah is closer to the front than the Back of your Bible, it's about that far back in mine. It's before Psalms. You can, again, use that table of contents in the front to find it. And it begins with an N, Nehemiah. When you got it, say, got it? Whoa, how'd you do that? That was so fast. Cool. let the rest of you guys take a second to find it, Nehemiah. Now, as you're looking for it, um, Nehemiah was intentionally being attacked without reason. And so the opportunity for him to be a, uh, offended was definitely available for him. And But he responded well. He lived beautifully. He, he lived agreeing with love. So I want to give you a, a little bit of context. Otherwise, we're going to read the entire book of Nehemiah, which I won't do that to you because I know some of you are drooling for that. Um, what's out there? Brisket. Brisket. Okay. Okay. A bit of context, Nehemiah was the cupbearer for the Persian king Artaxerxes, which is the craziest name on a birth certificate ever. But um, So he's this king, and uh, or he's, he's, sorry, he's the cupbearer to the king, and so a really high position. I mean, he was been sitting with the king in the vicinity of the king almost always, and so this guy had a, a really high position. And he hears about Jerusalem being in ruin. Now, Jerusalem was his his ancestry, his family, that was his city. And so it would be like, uh, it would not be like this, it would be way worse, but it would be like if you, I grew up in Minneapolis. Now, if I heard that there was a major attack in, a, in a Minneapolis and all these buildings and all these people, and it was just decimated, something in me, would hurt. Because I grew up there. I remember walking the parks. I remember going to the donut shops, which started an addictive habit in my life to eat donuts. I remember all of these different things. And so just like that, sort of, Nehemiah hears about Jerusalem because they didn't have text and, you know, email and all this. So he hears about it and it's been in ruins. The gates are burned. The the, uh, the walls are down. Everything's decimated. There's a couple people living there, but it's not as what it's supposed to be. And so because of that, we're going to look at verse 4 in chapter 1 and pick up the story there. Nehemiah 1 in verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So he hears about the issue. He fasts, which means he put food on pause so he could give all of his attention all of his desire towards giving his attention towards God and asking God for a response in a certain issue which by the way is a good thing to do it's a good pattern it's not some crazy um spiritual thing as much as it is just an attention thing and so if you're right now are facing um, a lot of pain in your life and you um in a way that makes sense, I might say you need to hear from God. Fasting is a good way to do so. It, uh, it again aligns our minds and, and who we are to being aware of the things that, it, that matter the most. And so it may be food, it may be from your phone, it may be from whatever for a certain amount of time. But he hears about an issue, he fasts, he prays, he says, God help. Look down at chapter 2 and verse 4. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servants have found favor in his sight, then let him send me to the city of Judah, Jerusalem, where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Now in chapter two, verse 10, down just a little bit, we're introduced to two new characters. Chapter two, verse 10. When Sanballat, I'm gonna skip their little second names. When Sanballat and Tobiah heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites or the Jewish people, and so these two guys were not fans of the Jewish people. Verse nineteen, and here's where the comfor, conform, confirmation confrontation. Here's where the confrontation begins, and offense becomes a very real option for Nehemiah. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and this other guy now, now there's three of them heard about it what Nehemiah was doing, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you going to rebuild against, or are you rebelling against the king? Are you trying to set up your own thing? Which wasn't true, but they were just trying to irritate them. Often when we try and irritate each other, we say things that are embellished. And so here's the irritation begins. Verse 20, the first half of verse 20. I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start Rebuilding. Notice Nehemiah's first response to the irritation from these people that were intentionally trying to irritate him was to claim the promise God had given him—that God would again set up His kingdom in this place in Jerusalem. Whenever we're irritated, one of the things—this is just a little side note—but one of the things of living wisely is to remember what God has spoken to you. If you're in middle or high school, uh, we meet on Wednesday nights, and it's a blast. And um, are there any middle or high school students here? Okay, a couple of you, middle and high school students that come on Wednesday nights, you guys know, hi, um, that we're, she had a good wave, she had the best wave, that we're, we're really big on carrying um, a notebook with us. It doesn't have to always be with us, but in the mornings and the nights, we're carrying a notebook. Is there a middle or high school student that wants to tell us why? You want to, want to raise your hand and tell me why? I saw some of us. Where's Carter at? Carter, are you in here? There, where is he? Hey Carter, why do we carry a notebook with us? Awesome, thanks Carter. In case we ever feel like God is speaking to us, maybe it's a verse, maybe it's something someone says and it really stands out and you're like, that resonates with me, that sounds like the voice of God. We write down normal notes, sure, as we're reading the scriptures or maybe we journal through life on our emotions, these types of things. But uh, in middle school and high school, what we do is we try and mark the certain moments that stand out to us, special moments, uh, with a little star in a circle or whatever symbol they want to use, and then what happens is you can go back and look at your notebooks and see these things that God has been speaking to you. Now, it's a process of learning, and the point is not to say this is God or is not God, but the process is in the learning, and I think that's where God lives, is in the... Uh, the willingness to want to hear. And so he speaks. And what happens is the moment someone insults you, now you can go back and go, hold on, God, what have you been showing me then for now that now I can give? Do you see? So God always prepares us for what's going to happen. Nehemiah knew that. He knew what God had spoken to him. And so he responds with that. But it gets worse. Chapter four, a couple pages to the right in verse one. Are you still alive? Sweet, a lot of you. When San, uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, when Sanballat heard, that is the weirdest, I mean, if that's your name, it's an awesome name. Um, Maybe I just get fired if someone, if that is your name, it is a cool name, okay? It's just hard to say. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. Now notice when people uh, attack you, they tend to, or when we attack people, we tend to grab people. It's like on the basketball court. I'm offended. I grab my buddies. Are you, you know, that's what these guys are doing. The, The group's getting bigger. And the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble, those weak Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring back the stones to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah, who was at his side, said, yeah, what they're building, even a fox could climb up on. Imagine a little fox walking up on a wall and it would break down their wall of stones. In other words, your guys' work is garbage. They're just totally discouraging them. So again, these guys were intentionally trying to offend Nehemiah and his uh, people that he was with. And so there was plenty of reason Nehemiah could have been offended. But he immediately turns to conversation. Keyword: conversation. Listening and talking or prayer with God, recognizing that God had the ability to fix the situation. This might be a key for some of us. He turns to prayer, listening and talking with God, uh, because he he understood God had the ability to restore that situation, for God to be the one to restore his reputation, these types of things, not himself. Nehemiah chooses to agree with love by letting God do God's job, if we want to think of it like that, so that he could be free to do his. Build the city rather than giving his time and energy to living offended. If you've ever been offended, we've all been offended. You know when you're offended and how it just eats you up? It's taking your attention. Nehemiah got this. He wasn't going to go there. And so he's choosing to enter into conversation, talking and listening with God. 4 verse 4. Hear us, God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. In other words, help. Uh, Verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall until all of it reached half of its height. For the people worked with all their heart. Nehemiah didn't dwell on the offense. Instead, he released it. He moved through it so that he could get on with his day and his life. These are all patterns of living in love. We're just about done with this story. Verse 7, continuing on. Again, another opportunity to be offended. Verse 7, but when Sanballat, Tobiah... The Arabs and the Amorites, Ammonites and the people of this other place, so this group is just huge now, heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were really angry. So they all plotted together and came to fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted guard day and night to meet this threat. So, Nehemiah released the offense in a conversation with God. He easily could have given up on God. Notice, we see a number of times in the story that he prays, God, God help, God help. But then it comes back to, you guys are terrible. He prays, he's still offended. He prays, it's almost as if, where is God? Um, but he didn't give up. He continued to pray. He continued to ask, trusting that God was listening. And uh, maybe, maybe that's your thing today. To just be reminded that God hears you in your prayer. Uh, for whatever it is in your life. It doesn't have to do with offense. So, uh, in the end of the story, we see in chapter 6, again, he prayed. So here's going to be our summary for Nehemiah, and I think will be up on the screen for you. Nehemiah was set on living a free life. He was free from certain things, having to tie him down. A life where God was for him, not against him. And because of this, he was not stuck in an endless cycle of staying and living Offended. We we might even say it this way. We he understood that he lived in a safe universe, and by that I mean God was present. He didn't have to wonder, and even if something terrible happened, he knew the character of God was was so trustworthy. Even as he, if he had, even if he didn't understand the actions of God, he knew the character of God is love, and because of that, he agreed with love as he chose to overlook or move through the offense, and in doing so, he lived beautifully or in wisdom. Okay, so our second story, and we're getting uh, down to the end. Our second story is John the Baptist. So turn to the right in your Bibles Two, there's not a book of John the Baptist, but there is a book called Luke, all right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the beginning of what we call the New Testament, the two parts in your Bible, the New Testament and... What's the other one? The Old Testament, good, often referred to as the Hebrew Scriptures. It's mainly written in Hebrew. The New Testament being written in Greek and Aramaic, um, mainly. And so the New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the beginning are called the Gospels or the Good News. And it's the it's the eyewitness accounts. It's the camera in on Jesus, God with us. So imagine if... if uh, Sorry, this is a bad way of saying it. If I'm God, or if I'm Jesus, um, imagine four people, one to my left, right, front, and back, all having a camera on me as I walk through my day, and they're all recording my life, but they all see a little different things. They're different people. They pick up on different things. The person in front of me sees that I have a little label on my shirt. The person in the back sees that I have a microphone on my back pocket. They see the same thing, yet a little different. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the same stories primarily, primarily, but it's uh, done in a little bit different way. So what we're going to do is look at Luke. Um, Now, again, instead of reading a whole bunch, we will read a section, a small section. But instead of reading, let me give you some context. Now, John the Baptist, unlike the intentional hurt being caused to Nehemiah in this story, had the opportunity to live offended by someone who was not intentionally trying to hurt them. Okay? And... uh, in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they basically begin with John the Baptist. Now, Matthew's a little different. Matthew starts with the genealogy. The genealogy is so-and-so's dad or family, 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 family. And the reason why is because the book of Matthew was written to the Jewish people, and their ancestry was a primary way of communicating who you were. And so they started with that. But Mark, Matthew, Matthew Mark, Luke, and John basically all start with this guy, John the Baptist, We see John was uh, promised to this couple uh, named Elizabeth and Zachariah. They didn't have any kids. And we see also that John grew up in the wilderness at a certain age out in the desert. Uh, Many scholars think he grew up with a group um, of people called the Essenes. And the Essenes were uh, people who removed themselves from society to give their attention fully to things of God. Now, one of the things that we need to recognize is dualism is not helpful meaning there is God's stuff and not God's stuff. Again, all day we've been saying all of life is God. But these people uh, who moved out to the desert, they did probably do it for some good reasons. And we think that's maybe where John grew up. Regardless, he grew up out in the desert. And he's, funny enough, he's related to Jesus. Uh, His mom, Elizabeth, and Mary were related. And so he's related to Jesus. And we see him being the person who was going to wake up the people in this area near the Jordan, all these people, kind of where these Bible stories take place in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, waking them up to the fact that the Messiah, or Jesus, or the anointed one, the one sent by God, was going to be setting up his perfect kingdom, and it was right around the corner. He was prepping people. And so, uh, in uh, chapter 3, and verse 3, it says, he went into all the country around the Jordan River preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, in other words, we actually have a baptismal... Uh, Today, And if you haven't been baptized, here's maybe one way to think of it. And if you're ready, it's all you today. Um, In other words, he was helping people into the place of remembering that they needed someone to restore their lives and that life was far from perfect. That's what John was doing. He's showing them, guys, come on, look at your life. Look at this and this. And people are going, oh my gosh, yeah, that needs help. And he's saying, okay, confess it. Okay, so these people are confessing, but there's still a missing piece. And he's saying the missing piece is that one day, any day now, this Messiah, this one is going to come. He's going he's to be that missing piece. And so these people are getting rather excited. So John plays a pretty significant story uh, or a significant part in the story of God. Now, John ends up being sent to prison by a guy named, does anyone know? A little louder. Herod, good. Herod is the governor um, in this in this area, and he gets sent to prison by Herod for a rather odd reason, I think, maybe. Um, Herod marries his brother's wife, Philip, so you come with me. And so she comes with him, and then John's like, dude, you can't do that. Well, now, Herod's not a fan of that. He doesn't want that to be said, so he says, okay, John, go to prison. Now, during all this time, Jesus, while John's in prison, Jesus, he began his ministry, uh, his his stuff, the stuff he was doing, of bringing the kingdom of God to people. He's showing and telling them that his way of life was the restoration or the rest that they were longing for. Needless to say, John, being in prison, was probably wondering when Jesus would get him out. If this really is the Messiah, and he's really going to set up his kingdom in the way that they were thinking, then it's any day now, I'm clearly pretty important, I'm going to get released. So John may be in this place, we can kind of read into it, but probably wondering, when am I going to get out? Now here's where we pick up our story in Luke. Luke chapter 7, in verse 11. Luke 7 and verse 11. We're going to read just a few verses so that you can hear what's going on. Here's the situation where John could have easily have let himself become offended by, surprise, Jesus. Okay, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from that town was with her. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. As you read the scriptures, if you mark Jesus's first words to hurting people, when people recognize the brokenness of humanity, his first words are usually don't be afraid, don't cry, don't worry. This is what God is like, by the way, okay? This is pretty cool. He says, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the briar, the thing they were carrying him on, and the bearers, the people carrying him, if you can kind of picture, they think is probably a couple sticks and then like a mat and the boys on top. Um, where are we? Don't cry. He touched and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, he's dead, young man, I say to you, get up. So the dead man, the boy, sat up and began to talk. I so wish we could have known what he was saying. What do you say after you're dead and then come back to life? The dead boy sat up and began to talk. I have my, I have my, what do you call that? When you think you have an idea? It's suspicions. Yeah, I have my, the dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave the boy back to his mother. Can you picture this? They were all filled with awe and praise God. God, they they recognized God is life, and life was coming to them in a whole new way. Well, this is incredible. So the dead man sat up, began to talk, gave back. Verse 16, they were all filled with wonder and awe and praised God. A great prophet, someone God has sent, has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. Verse 17, the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Verse 18, John's disciples told him about these things. Now, where is John? He's in prison calling to two of them, John calling to two of his disciples, he said, he sent them to the Lord, to Jesus, and said, are you the one who is to come? Are you this Messiah? Or should we expect someone else? Now, again, I have my suspicion, but my guess is he's probably wondering, is this everything I've given my, are you everyone, the, the one I've been giving my whole life to? And if so, is there maybe the benefit of me getting out of here soon? Just, kind of reading into it. and When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who sh- is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, so pick up on the writing here, uh, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases. But he gets the question, hmm, okay, he turns around and he starts healing people. Okay, he's giving, Jesus doesn't just tell us stuff, he does it. He doesn't just say living in wisdom is the best way. He actually is, it's a real deal. This isn't religion. This is like agreeing with love. This is agreeing with the, the life of, of however you want to think of God, but the life of, of all things. This is agreeing with that. So at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits. I'm assuming these boys, these disciples were probably like, did he forget about our question? I mean, that's cool that he's doing that, but we have a question. And gave sight to many, if you have a pen in your hand, underline the word many, many who were blind. So he replied to the to the messengers, to these boys who were John's disciples. He replied, he said, go back and report to John, What you have seen and heard, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Pretty epic. Verse 23 And blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Kind of a buzzkill. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, uh, one of my favorite authors is this guy named Gene Edwards, and. Uh, he's a fictional writer. Okay, so fiction. I always think of it as fake. Fiction, fake, and so it's not. Um, it's not history in the sense of like a history textbook, which some of that's fiction, but still. Um, that's a whole nother topic but when you when you read gene edwards if you get the chance it's a really good story and gene he um i think he has his masters from uh, yeah some uh, baptist theological seminary and, and so he he understands the scriptures but what he does is he writes he writes in a way that like no one else i've found he ties together things in the scriptures that help me enter into the story in a way that's like Oh my gosh, I didn't see that. And then I read the scriptures. And I'm like, it's right there. And so what I'm going to read you just in a second is um, it's fiction. Okay. So it's not from the scriptures, but it helps us maybe enter into what it could have been like when the boys go back to John and, and they, they tell John what Jesus said. And they help us enter into maybe how John was feeling and um, because he easily could have been offended. So I'm going to read here from chapter 13. This book is called uh, Prisoner in the Third Cell. If you want a suggestion on some fun books, I mean, this I reread this the other afternoon. It took me 45 minutes. It's huge print, which is awesome. You feel so productive in life, you know, every 10 seconds turning a page. So this is a feel-good-about-yourself book. Um, but on a serious note, if you are... Um, If you're angry at God or someone else, um, this might be a really helpful resource. All right. So and I've never read one of his books and not just cried my eyes out through it. um, So they all have like teardrops. So I won't give you my copies because they're special to me, but you can get them on Amazon. Um, All right. Chapter 13. So uh, the context, it's picking up to help us think about how John may have felt when he hearing Jesus's response. The three disciples of John squatted down on the slimy floor of the dungeon that had become John's home. Teacher, we've seen your cousin. Did you ask my question? We did. And his answer? Teacher, the answer is very strange. We do not understand it. John sighed. It was as though he knew this would be the disciples' response. His reply? Teacher, he said to tell you that the blind and dumb and crippled receive sight. And hearing and healing. Then he said to tell you that the good news is proclaimed and received with joy. John turned those words over in his mind very slowly. After several minutes, his brow wrinkled. The prisoner leaned forward and asked, Is that all? No, teacher. He said one other thing. And then he dismissed the crowd and he told us goodbye. What was it that he said? Well, he said, Tell John. And blessed is he who is not offended with me. There was a long silence as the three men studied the face of John, hoping for a glimpse of his reaction to the words. But there was none. Finally, John queried, Where was my cousin? Well, he was in a village in Galilee called Nain, responded with the disciple. There were sick people everywhere, streets and lanes and alleys. They were all filled with people wanting to be healed. The place was overrun with suffering souls. Were they being healed? Yes, teacher. Many were being healed. With those words, John's interest quickened. His frame straightened. Did you say many? Oh, don't lose it. Did you say many? John responded, John. Yes, teacher. Many? Asked John again. The disciples were were puzzled. Yes, teacher, he answered again. Many were being healed. Many, repeated John quietly to himself. Then he leaned forward again. Many, but not all? For a brief instant, the disciple was at a loss to words as to what John was saying. Then his own eyes lit up, revealing the shock of what John was observing. Yes, teacher, you are right. There were many who were being healed, but not all. Not all. John stared vacantly into space. as, he, as he, Had he found at last the answer to the questions that had so d- troubled him so deeply about Jesus? Or had he simply added more questions to his dilemma? So at least through this we see um, maybe John's position of, of hurt and confusion. Um, unintentional. Jesus is not trying to hurt him. But there's definitely an opportunity for him to be offended. In the scriptures, what's interesting is the last thing we see of John is him being killed, him being beheaded. And, um, but we never see John being angry. We never see him being bitter. Instead, somehow, even in the face of having a perfectly good reason to be offended, he moved through it and lived beautifully. He lived in wisdom, not allowing it to define him. And so uh, here's where we're going to end this morning. Uh, we've said moments of offense— lead us into choosing either to blame or to overlook the offense, what we've called agreeing with love or living beautifully. And although we all know how easy it is to blame, we also know God's way or the best way or wisdom being the latter, the choosing to hand our thinking and feeling and actions back to God in moments where we could easily otherwise become or live offended. And so I think the way of living in wisdom begins by reminding ourselves of who God is for us and with us and in us, that God is the great beauty of life, that he's perfect unity and perfect cooperation, and that God is calling us to agree with love in all things. And so the next time we're faced with these situations, to remember these things. Even if we don't understand, even if we're hearing something from God, such as, and bless you if you're not offended with me and my answer and my ways. The scriptures say his ways are higher than ours. Can we accept that? Because if not, until we we can wrestle with that honestly, even if the answer is I can't right now, until we approach that, we're just going to be fighting an uphill battle. And so, like I said at the beginning, our goal this morning has been less about learning new information and more about encountering God. With, um, and so what we've been after is getting to know more of what God is like and then move into a place of allowing that knowing to change us, not into better people, but a people who continue learning what it looks like to walk with God in our everyday moments, learning what it looks like to agree with love in all things. So, let's respond to that God. Um, that's inviting us to come close, and as we clear our laps, if you guys want to set your stuff aside, um, that might be helpful. Remembering that living an offended life actually finds its healing in, again, turning our attention or our face towards God. Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah entered into a conversation of talking and listening with God. That is the first step, giving our attention to God. And um, maybe we need to be reminded that God has not abandoned us, that even in the midst of our pain or our being offended is not left. And um, as we recognize that holding on to offense only pushes against the beauty of life, it traps us, it disables our way, our ability to live free. And uh, for some of us today, we may be reminded of those who we've let offend us, maybe even with good reason, but we've let offend us. Those ones that we're holding on to, and we believe this lie that somehow us being offended is punishing them, it's making it equal. But it's a lie. You, you, we're not free in those moments. God calls us into freedom. And for others, we find ourselves um, offended with God, honestly. Why would you let this happen? Um, why didn't you do this? Why did that person do this? Why did they not get healed? All of these things. And um, I just want to remind you, he, he feels your pain. He knows. And he, he knows your hurt. And he's longing for you to give that pain and that hurt to him, even if you don't understand, to move from a place of your mind to a deeper place of just knowing, just allowing yourself to be loved. To actually trust him, and it's hard, it's really hard. But his way is always best. He is the spring, the wellspring of life. All good things come from him. Anytime we think of God as anything but that, it's almost like a prism being put in the way of light and how it turns and it alters the way. And the enemy and ourself wants to take and and take our perspective of God and tweak it, and then we get angry at God, but really there's an issue. There's a something, there's a lie. And to remove that lie, to say, God, I don't want that lie, I want to see you for who you say you are moving the lie aside or giving it to God releasing it allows us now to live in freedom or in love again and some of you find yourself there Um, but for both whether it's uh, someone that you are offended with or that someone's offended you or it's God uh, or anywhere in between let's um let's pray and let's agree with love in all things in these moments and this week as you learn what it looks like to release them more and more allow the spirit to lead you Into those places. Ask God, God, what does it look like to agree with you with this person that hurt me? Or with you that I feel like you're hurting me. What does it look like? And then sit and wait like a child and let God speak to you and do not be afraid of screwing up. Do not be afraid of, oh, I'm just going to get weird thoughts. Don't don't even God wants to speak to you every single person in here can hear God's voice you're created your, your deepest self is created to hear God's voice you've been hearing him since you're a child and the trick the, the whole goal of life is to learn to hear his tone that's why we study the scriptures his tone is most clear in the scriptures and then we can as we learn his tone we can see God in all things every moment becomes a God moment this is a God moment later when you're eating brisket that's a God moment clearly so let's pray Let's talk and listen for just a moment to God and let's not rush.